Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandiver. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. To the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 88. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Donovan. This is Joe. And this is Stella. We are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of March 4th through March 17th to include everything that happened at WonderCon. There is not that much news, and we only have six books to cover, and there is no DCU Spotlight. Unfortunately, we've decided that Batman Beyond we are only going to cover during the actual print release instead of the actual digital chapters, even though that's not what I said in the last episode. So look for Batman Beyond on the next episode. So that'll be chock full of comics. Let's jump right into comic news, because like I said, we are going to cover what happened at WonderCon this past weekend as well. So, as far as news goes, the very first thing we have comes on March 9th. The source announced some changes to some of the creative teams for both Detective Comics and Batwoman. The new creators coming on board to the titles are mentioned to be guest artists only and not necessarily permanent additions. First, over on Detective Comics, Tony Daniel will be sticking to writing the series but take a step back from the art. Ed Bennis will be stepping in on the book to cover pencils. The schedule might have taken its toll on Daniel, and this happened in the past, where Daniel takes a couple of issues off before returning to both write and pencil. Bennis will be on the book for issues 10 through 12, and DC has already stated that Daniel will be retaking the duties on issue 13. Over on Batwoman seems to be a much larger shakeup. DC announced that Trevor McCarthy will be filling in for issues 9 through 11. Originally, it seems that J.H. Williams III and Amy Reader will be rotating on pencil duties as we were under the assumption since way back, I believe it was like last November that we were under this assumption. DC stated that Williams will be returning to the arts with issue 12, and the other point about the announcement is that Amy Reader announced on her Facebook account that she will not be returning to the books stating creative differences. It may never be known exactly what the reason is for the change, but McCarthy will need to bring his talent in full force to match what has been going on in the title. Yeah, I read that Amy Reader information, and three issues, right? That's pretty... When you consider how many creators have dropped out of their books they've been assigned to already in the New 52, about seven months in, I do wonder what exactly could have happened. I mean, you said that we may, we may never find out, and we might not find out, but... I wouldn't be surprised if on a blog she spotted up her Venom and Fury at somewhere. But Batman has been generally pretty good, so I'm surprised that on a book that's pretty been well-received and pretty well-written and and well-drawn that there could be some sort of falling out. Yeah, I'm also surprised and obviously a bit disappointed. McCarthy's not my favorite artist just because of his very cartoony style, but at least Williams is still in the book. And as for Detective Comics, I've always felt that if Tony Daniel needs help with the book, it should always be on the writing side, even if he continues to plot it. But from what I have seen of Bennis's work, it does seem to be a similar style. It's just funny that the last time we met, we were 
you know, doing an interview with all three of these, with Reader included, and she seemed really excited about it. And just seems like a swift change. I hope it's not an angry departure like the static shock (laughs) (laughs) sir was, but I guess, I don't know. I, I just think that it never seems good when somebody leaves. It just seems bad on all parts, and I don't know. It just foretells doom, in my opinion. So I hope that this doesn't bring down the book. Maybe she just didn't like drawing children being drowned. Perhaps. My only kind of concern about this is it just seems as if back when they announced that Amy Reader was going to be rotating art with J.H. Williams, it was so that J.H. Williams could have time to do his art because his art takes a lot longer. What concerns me right now is that Trevor McCarthy is stepping in in the next three issues, which would have been J.H. Williams, which is giving J.H. Williams three extra months to get those next set of issues done. So the question is, who's going to rotate with him after he gets done with his next set of issues, whether it be three or more or whatever? That's what concerns me, because to me, this is a creator delay already, because that was not originally supposed to be anybody but J.H. Williams doing the arc right after Amy Reader. So that's what concerns me is we're already falling behind and he had well over a year and a half to prep for this. And you also need an artist that sort of like reminds you of William's style. Amy Reader's a distinctive artist in her own right, but there were times where we did compare it to Williams and she tried the whole painted superhero thing just like Williams did. And I thought it looked similar enough. You know, it was definitely different, but there were times where, you know, the feel of the book was the same. And McCarthy is radically different in style. I do like McCarthy, but I think that if he's going to stay on for a while and then you still need a rotating artist with Williams, who are they going to get? Yeah, I mean, looking at it. The way Dustin just said is, it's very bizarre to think that how long they've had to do this book and why all of a sudden it seems to have fallen apart. And I wish we could find out why. I agree with Liz. Hey. All right. So moving on to the next bit of news, there really was not a whole lot of other news, but we do have the sales numbers from February. And yet again, Batman stays in the number two slot for, I believe this is... Month number six. Most of the other books just really didn't change that much. There was a, a number of books that did drop. Those books would be Batman and Robin, Batwoman, Batgirl, Nightwing, Catwoman, Red Hood and the Outlaws, Birds of Prey, The Huntress, Batwing, Batman Odyssey, Penguin, Pain and Prejudice. Those all dropped. The only book to positively move up that we tracked was Teen Titans that moved up one slot. The biggest drop of the month was the last issue of Young Justice, which dropped 35 spots on the sales charts. And as far as books that you would expect to be in the top 100, Batwing dropped 18 spots and Batman Odyssey dropped 17 spots. So not necessarily a great month as far as numbers go, but Batman continues to hold strong at number two, Detective Comics at number four, and Batman the Dark Knight number six. So nonetheless, out of the top 10 books, four books within the top 10 that are specifically the Batman universe, that's still a good thing. It is good. I don't, I don't want to disparage the books that are doing well. Although just, just based on you know, the, the quality. I mean, I saw everyone's taste is you know different, but Dark Knight and Detective Comics especially, I just wonder why those are selling so highly. But, you know, maybe, maybe what we think about those books is, is an anomaly and they really are great. Well, I'm not too surprised that Batgirl dropped some slots there. I guess I am a little surprised that some of them dropped 
so many spots. 18 seems like a hefty amount for Batwing. And I guess last issue wasn't the strongest, but hopefully after this issue, it will pick up again. And it's funny that Young Justice has dropped so much because I started reading it. And I think it's actually pretty good because it really fills in some blanks and and it's able to delve into certain areas that the show doesn't have time to do. So I think it's a worthwhile comic to pick up if you're a fan of the show. The interesting thing about this is the the only ones that I'm, I'm really concerned about well, Batman Odyssey is going to run out with issues in two months, so that's not really that big of a deal. And not to mention, if that book was canceled, I don't know that anybody would be really that upset. The only book that concerns me is Batwing. I mean, the number of slots that it dropped brings it where it's not even in the top 100. So if it's not in the top 100, the sales are to a point where it could very well be on that next slate of books that could be canceled. Oh no. Which would be unfortunate, and uh, hopefully these next couple months of Batwing being in Gotham City and having a lot of the TVU characters pop up with supporting roles, hopefully that'll help the series get some more sales. But then again, once we get out of the Court of Owls and Batwing goes back to Africa, are we going to be seeing the same thing? That's the only thing that concerns me at this point. Alright, so moving right along on... March 14th, Newsrama talked with Raphael Albuquerque about his upcoming work with Scott Snyder on the backup in the back of Batman. So for this interview, I will read for Newsrama, and Don will read for Raphael Albuquerque. Your collaboration with him led to the work you're doing on Batman for the backup stories. You said you change your art style for different stories. How would you describe the style you're using for the backup stories you're doing for Batman? It's pretty similar to what I have done in American Vampire. Regular inking for the present story in issue 8, and then washes for the flashback in issue 9, 10, and 11. What's your approach to telling the story of the Pennyworth family and their connection to the Court of Owls? Can you talk about what your thoughts were on the characters as you developed them? It's situated at the end of the 70s, early 80s, so I looked for inspiration in movies from these decades. I watched again, Taxi Driver, The Candidate, and others, just to get the feel mm. these movies have. Maybe the angles, timing, and of course, vestments were inspired by that as much as I could. For the talent design, I just tried to follow the path that Greg Capullo has created. Right, so that's the end of the interview. Most of the interview was actually about American Vampire, but there was a couple snippets about Batman. It is interesting that he states that the backup is taking place in the late 70s, early 80s, because it's pretty much making it more time-focused, which we've never, I don't think, ever actually seen specifically in the Batman books, where they're specifically focused on a specific time period. Now, that's not to say that they can't have flashbacks that are set in the 1800s, or specific time periods, but saying specifically, oh, well, this story takes place in the late 70s, early 80s, that's basically stating that the Batman that we're seeing in the book is in 2012, not some other time frame. Yeah, with the sliding time scale comics always have, it's no, it's no surprise that they would have to try to date it if they want to make Bruce 33 years old. Although, I am wondering if Thomas Wayne will resemble the 70s and 80s Bruce Wayne when he looked very dated. <laughs> Other than that, I think, it's, I think it's interesting to choose that as opposed to, there are some times when comics go to the past and it looks like it was like, you know, last year. There's no real change in like the sensibilities or whatever. So it will be interesting to see like a true past where it's dated and there are decades of specific times where you can check how, how long it's been. I also think it's a bit odd that we're seeing these specific times because especially Batman is always, I found, been uh, built up to be quite timeless. I mean, you look at the, the animated show and stuff where it's all based in sort of a 50s sort of aesthetic, but then with modern day things. And 
I always find it weird when they do try and date things so specifically as this, but it'll be interesting to see how it's done. All right, so then that's really all the big news. Let's get into the WonderCon news. There was two main panels that were hosted by DC that focused on things having to do with Batman. The first one was on Friday, March 16th. It was called DC Comics All Access, and the panel had a number of different people, including Scott Snyder on the panel, that were related to the Batman universe. But the specific things talking about the future of the books, here's the rundown. Eddie Berganza compared Alfred in Batman Earth 1 to Liam Neeson's character in Taken. Scott Snyder mentioned that Batman number 9 is the beginning of Batman punishing the Court of Owls. <laughs> Future issues of Teen Titans will have Red Robin explore his role as leader. Bob Harris stated that Greg Hurwitz is so excited to be working on Batman the Dark Knight, he has already written six or seven issues. Harris replied to a question about the Batman-Superman relationship, saying that there are plans to explore the beginning of the two working together. And finally, a question was asked about the status of Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Kane. Scott Snyder mentioned to watch for future stories, while Eddie Berganza mentioned to watch Batman Incorporated for some answers. <laughs> and I doubt we're actually going to get all the explanations that we would want in Batman Incorporated. I'm squeezing my fist right now. All right, and then the other panel was on Saturday. It was DC Comics, the New 52 panel. Much less information here, but Batman Incorporated will take the character to places that no one will expect. Seemingly a different universe where Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain still exist. That last part's not true, but, you know, we can always dream. <laughs> Nightwing, the series, will feature werewolves. The biggest secrets about the Court of Owls, as well as a new female character, will be coming up in the next few issues of Batman. Dick Grayson will be getting a new job in Gotham City, so that's the rundown. Now, the new female character, what I'm getting the feeling of is that it could actually be the female Talon character, and that's the character they're referring to instead of, you know, another love interest for Bruce Wayne. Gosh. Because we know that there will be a female Talon, and to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to add in a character while they're going through all the talents. Unless, of course, they're going to be focusing on, you know, a member of the actual court, one of the females that was wearing the mask in, in uh, issue number six. That could make sense, too. It really... <laughs> Listen to the love of interest. I will eat my hat, which I don't own. Uh, it really... Like, like, they gotta be... I mean, I don't think it will be, because it just doesn't make any sense. We've, we've counted... Dustin said there's, there's one in Dark Knight, one in Detective, there's Talion Incorporated, and many others. So I don't think there will be. In fact, I endorse new female characters, because that's always fun. I think Batman could actually use a female, I don't know, maybe, well, he actually does have a lot of female characters already, villains and heroes. But it's just interesting to sort of diversify the group. Although I think we saw some in that last issue of Batman. So maybe she's like, maybe it's that little girl who said, oh, make him hurt real bad or whatever. What if it's a female talent and a new love interest? Uh, a, a new Talia. <laughs> Talia's twin sister, Talia. <laughs> Wasn't her name like Naja? Nissa? Yeah, there we go. Let's see here. Number one, when I hear there are going to be vampires in Nightwing, that makes me want to... <laughs> it just sounds so dumb. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it does, though. It sounds bad. This is not... You know, werewolves and Batwoman, like, I can completely... Yes, because she's dealt with that before. You know, you've got this whole cult going on and, and the, the book of... 
I can't remember what the book is called, but you know, I will totally accept that. In Nightwing? No, not at all. That that's not the place for it. The let's see, the female that should be good, I guess. It, it depends. I feel like when you say female, that it mm-hmm. is going to be some sort of love interest. And then again, we have another one. So we have Charlotte Rivers in Detective. Then we have White Rabbit and that girl we haven't seen Giant in a little while. There we go. J- I like to call her Jay, but. In the Dark Knight, so yeah, let's let's add another one in in the main book, shall we? So I don't know. I guess we'll see. Females are plenty. Yeah. All right. So that is all the comic news. WonderCon, as far as we know, went down without a hitch. The DC booth was crowded as usual, and yeah, next comic convention coming up is C2E2. The Batman Universe will be there. That's actually coming up pretty quickly. It's the second weekend of April, so only a couple weeks away. All right, so that's going to bring us right into our comic book reviews. Like I said, number of books to cover. Our very first book is Batwing number 7. Know that wherever evil lurks, in all its myriad forms, I'll be there with the hammers of justice to fight for decency and defend the innocent. Batwing number 7. But there were consequences for us. Written by Judd Winnick, illustrated by Dustin Nguyen. We finally get the reason why the kingdom fell all those years ago. We're introduced to a flashback said by Steelback. He introduces all the other, all the members. We have staff for the first time. We go back to Earthstrike, Razorwire, Deity, Dawnfire, Thunderfall, and Haziah Kone as their weapons man. And this is pretty much him saying that, you know, how they were defending the people and helping the people's army against President Okura, Masika Okura, and how he was basically doing all the things that evil African stereotypes do. While we're talking about that, Batman is checking along with the Bat family, Batgirl, Nightwing, Alfred, Robin, and they are trying to track down Razorwire and staff who have been going to Gotham City to work on a African AIDS Relief International. So Steelback finally says what happened all those years ago that where the kingdom disappeared. Apparently, the president, President Akura, said that he would not surrender, but he he would make an alliance with these six warlords, but he would need an escape route. So he would basically give the edge of the war to the People's Army. To help him escape safely, he enlisted the aid of the kingdom, and they pretty much come up with excuses on why they should help him. They said they were weak. They could never help the People's Army in time, and they basically had no choice. We'll get to that later. But this this broke up the team apart morally. They they just did not like, even though they carried this mission out, they did not like the consequences of that. They thought they had sold themselves out for this guy, who they really should have killed, and they, the team split up and disappeared. Robin and Nightwing find Staff and Razor Wire dead, apparently, at a, a nearby warehouse. And when they enter, they see that Massacre is there with Steelback's armor to be continued in the final battle of the kingdom. And the mystery of Massacre revealed... <laughs> All right, Batwing number seven. The interesting thing about this issue was that we we get the look back at the kingdom. We see why exactly or what the crime is that they committed. The massacre has been hounding them for these past six issues about. And the reality is, I get this feeling that Massacre is not who David Zemebi thinks he is. I don't think it's his previous warlord commander. I don't think it's that guy. Like I said, I think it was like two months ago when we reviewed this, it would be really unfortunate to find out that it's actually, in fact, David Zambibi's brother, because where does the series go from there? But then again, with the sales being as low as they are, they could, in fact, go out with a high bang by having that as the character beneath the mask. The only problem is, I don't know why that character would have any kind of 
I, I don't know how they could be related to the kingdom and want to punish the kingdom for this. As far as the art goes, the only comment I had was when they showed Batgirl, did anybody else think that she looked exactly like Stephanie Brown, only in a different costume? I did it, but now that you mentioned it, she does look a bit like her. <laughs> that partially has to do with the fact that Dustin Wynn did Stephanie Brown as Batgirl. That's kind of why I saw it, because Dustin Wynn did the art for this issue. That was really the only points I had. It really seemed like all this time I've been waiting for the history of the kingdom to come up. History. I, I felt completely misled by where we were going with this. Yeah, it's great that the kingdom gets revealed, we see all the characters, and we find out why, but really the ultimate sin that they all created really, to me, just felt like a giant waste of time. It felt like the last six issues was this big waste that I got all hyped up about the kingdom, only to find out that they disbanded because they disagreed with the decision that was made, and they all stopped being heroes because of this one person making this one decision. I'm sorry, I just don't buy that if you were a hero and you felt compelled to help people, that you just up and up quit being a hero because... Somebody on your team made a decision that wasn't a decision that you would have agreed with. Why wouldn't you just go try to do something about that decision or try to at least redeem yourself by saving other people? I don't know. It just seems like they had one purpose as a team and their only purpose was to, you know, overthrow the government and make the people have their freedom. But when that wasn't going to happen, they just all gave up. To me, that just is a huge letdown. So... Overall, it was nice to see the other characters from the Batman universe in Gotham City, but they really didn't play as big of a role as I thought they were going to, so I'm going to give this one and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, we finally get the secret of the kingdom in this issue, and I could not care less. I kind of had it with this book. I don't dislike it at all. It's not a bad book, but the way that it's kind of been played out, it's been more and more sort of just like kind of... I feel it's very phoned in. I think that the reveal was phoned in. It wasn't really... It wasn't really that anybody turned evil or anything. Their, their hand was sort of forced and they felt bad about it. I think if these guys actually had the moral scruples that they really did, someone would have come clean about it publicly as opposed to, I mean, this is not really a secret. This is just, you know, something that happened and it won them the war. So I, I suppose, I, I'm not sure how many years ago they said this was. It just says years ago. I don't know. It, it, it feels really phony. The beginning feels phony. There's, there's, there's a lot more of this kind of like cheesy exposition, which they do need. But it just feels very bland and like, you know, like, oh, we felt like we were the people, you know, like we fought against this warlord who sucked every last drop of dignity and life from Africa. And first and foremost, we get nothing about these guys. The kingdom, we don't, we know their powers, we know their names, we know what they look like. But who are these people? They just say, oh, we wanted to help the people. That's all there is to it. We don't really have a reason why we should care about them disjoining. We don't get any reason why we should care that they've been killed. And really, again, this book should be about Batwing. We should care more about him and his motivations rather than his angst and, you know, the secret of the kingdom, who we just learned about a few months ago. Again, I don't think this is a very bad issue, I don't, but it's not very good either. I, I feel that this is a very, very lazily written issue by and large. I honestly find that their excuses for not doing other things, like, you know, warning the people or flying down there or doing something, were really limp-wristed. If these guys were so, so good and so heroic, they would have found another way than just helping this president out. Because just, this, that actually takes a lot more time and consideration than, like, I can understand if they killed somebody or if they had to, like, I don't know, do an assassination or whatever. But, like, this whole, oh, we need to shuffle this guy out of the country. We feel so betrayed. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> And I agree with Dustin that the Bat family kind of felt I like I like them. I like more that we're seeing more of Dick and Damien team up. They were not bad here, but they're kind of like window dressing. And the cliffhanger 
wasn't really that much of a claim for her. He has Steelback's armor. Who cares? We just learned about this guy. It's an armor. It's no different than a Lex spot. Again, okay, I'll say it a third time. This isn't a bad issue, but it's just not that great. Two and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm really happy to see Dustin Wen again because I've always been a fan of his art. Yeah, I felt that the reveal of the kingdoms was uh, very anticlimactic. I didn't seem to hate it as much as other people seem to, but it definitely was a bit of a letdown in terms of the amount it was built up over all the issues, the teasers going, finally, you'll learn about the kingdom, and then it was this. (laughs) I feel that this series for me has had a bit of a honeymoon period, and that has now come to an end in that it's starting to wind down in excitement for me. Perhaps that's something to do with the fact that they feel like they have to take Batwing to Gotham. To I'm not sure if it's to legitimize him or if it's just to try and make it more interesting for readers. Also, yeah, always like seeing Dick and Damien working together. I always think that's fun of throwback to Batman and Robin. I don't remember. Is he supposed to be staying in Gotham now permanently or is this just like a... It's a temporary thing. He's just going there for the mission. So I think it's going to be interesting because obviously after... Issue 8, it's going to be the Night of Owl storyline, and then see where we go from there. But yeah, this is definitely wound down in terms of excitement for me. And if it didn't have Dustin Nguyen's art in it, I would feel a lot less enthusiastic about this. But even with that, I'm only going to give it two and a half. As Don was saying, it's not bad, but it's it's definitely not good. I guess I'm going to be the most positive on this particular show. I guess that'll be a change from everyone. Back on next. Yeah. And, well, I'm not going to ruin it. Well, first of all, I would like to say that, and I know that this is like a bad word. What what are those those games you call? Taboo. It's taboo on the show. But I have been watching, and this relates to us, and I promise. I have been watching Lost. <laughs> from the beginning again because my parents got me a complete series for Christmas and I just realized just how much of a connection Mr. Echo from Lost has with Batwing. I guess I didn't see that before I had been watching them again but I thought that was pretty cool. I loved seeing Dustin Nguyen's art that's you know first and foremost and probably the the big thing from the issue is just great to see that even if yes (laughs) Babs looked a little like Steph it was just great to see his art style. Um, You know I was really happy that we finally have started to learn more about the kingdom and I guess I'm taking the place of Dustin's history. I love the history. I just thought that, yes, it was a little convoluted and and, and sort of tough to follow but I liked that there was conflict involving what was going on and that you know, there were two sides to the argument rather than everyone being on one side. I really liked that. I liked seeing all the members in their prime and because we've only been hearing about them and of course they've been retired. So it's just great to see them back then. And, and who were they? Because we've only been hearing about them, you know, obliquely and like, oh, they're dead. Well, you never really got to see them in action and what they looked like, things like that. So it's great to see that. I liked seeing Batgirl at a computer. I thought that was, you know, that was kind of cool. A little nod there, I feel, to Oracle. I really liked that we could see the Bat family interacting together. It was nice to see the conversation between Batman and Batwing in the, were they in the Batwing? I don't know if they were flying or driving now. But no, I think this is probably the first time that we've really seen a longer conversation between the two. And it was just nice Batman being open and really acting like a mentor and giving advice because he's experienced so many things and he's been there and he was really truthful and open with him. Overall, I thought it was a really good issue. I mean, no, it wasn't the best, but I don't know. Maybe I was just dazzled by the art and I was really happy about it. But I think that it was great that we finally got to learn something because last time I said... When 
when are we going to learn about this? When are we going to learn about this? And we finally did. So I'm just looking forward to what's going to happen next. And it's great to see Batwing in Gotham with the other people, but I know that's probably not going to last long. But I give this a four out of five. All right, so overall, Batwing gets a total of two and a half out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our next book, Batgirl number seven. <laughs> Batgirl number seven, A View from Below. Writer Gail Simone, Pencil Ardian Sioff, and Alitha Martinez, Inker Vicente Sefuentes, and Chorus Ulysses Ariola. The issue opens in the sewers of Gotham with Batgirl's head held underwater by a man wearing an exaggerated devil mask. She chides herself that she was so easily able to take down his flunkies, but not the main guy. He is too strong for her, but she is Barbara freaking Gordon, and she uses her smarts to throw him off with a grappling hook. The guy loses his mask, says he is exposed, and disappears, talking to her all the while, kind of in the way of the Cheshire Cat, and praises her, hoping that they will meet again. As Babs practices her upchuck reflexes, she thinks back to the beginning of the night. Two hours ago, Batgirl knocked on the window of Dinah's apartment. Once inside, Batgirl asks her to spar with her because she needs to hit something, a.k.a. air her frustrations. Dinah pushes Batgirl at the dojo. Dinah pushes Batgirl and calls her a cheerleader. Then Batgirl goes all out, but Dinah still gets the best of her. Lying on the ground, Batgirl thinks of Joker and believes that while her body is healing, her spirit is still wounded. Over tea, Babs talks about her mother's reappearance, and Dinah asks whether her father knows. Of course not. And yet, (laughs) over at Gotham City Police Department, McKenna bursts in on Gordon to tell him that there is a visitor for him. None other than Barbara Sr. Bum, bum, bum. Jim tells her he had her traced and asks her why she could leave or how she could leave the way she did. Barbara tells him it was because of their son, James Jr. Back at Dinah's dojo, Babs also admits that something has been off lately and she started crying when she saw a girl in a wheelchair. Dinah slaps some sense into her and tells her to stop wallowing in her self-hatred. She tells her that there is a creeper called Grotesque that will be doing something downtown and the birds are busy. Babs asks for the address and goes on her way. At Cartier's One Club, the most expensive, exclusive private club in town, second only to the Iceberg Casino, Grotesque with his groupies are holding up Theodore Eichlin's birthday. All Grotesque wants is Latisse, the legendary wine from 1846, estimated value $0.5 million. Eichlin refuses, loses his life, and Backroll goes to work. Dear dirtbags, meet Backroll. The thugs hear sirens and decide it is time to leave. Grotesque absorbs power from the building and breaks his way out of the building. Backroll is confused for Batwoman, follows the trail of Grotesque, and leaps into the sewer. We flash forward to the present, where it all began, where Batgirl is still in the sewer and checking the different faces of those she took down. With shock and horror, she discovers that one of the men was with Joker on the night that she was shot. Next, Batgirl faces a nightmare from her past. Okay. Alright, Batgirl number seven. <sighs> wow. I, I'm going to probably have a little small new details compared to what Stella and Don are going to have. But I had a number of problems with the art. But I'll get to those in a second. First of all, let's start off with the writing. The biggest problem I have is we get this giant thing about how Batgirl has to basically go train with Black Canary because she needs someone to fight with. She needs to train more. But we see only a couple, I think it was like maybe two pages total of 
the actual fight, and then the page after page after page of them talking back and forth about all these memories of her being in the wheelchair, before she was in the wheelchair, how she thinks it's... And this isn't just with the conversation with Black Canary. It also has to do with when she says, you know, I thought it was easy being back. All you had to do is trade puns with Robin. Really? You're how old and that's, and that's your memory of what you would be doing as Batgirl is that's what your job was, was to trade puns with Robin. It's not just that, it's, it's just, that's annoying. The next one. Her being confused as Batwoman, I'm sorry. As far as I know, Batgirl's been a prominent character in Gotham City much longer than Batwoman has. Unless something's changed. So if someone in the crowd sees a female, whether or not they're a girl or a fully grown female, but then again, the last time I checked, Batgirl has always pretty much been a grown woman. Maybe not as old as 24, but she's always been at least somewhere in the age of 18 or older. So I have a hard time believing that somebody who's not wearing a black and red costume like Batgirl could be confused as Batwoman, especially since Batwoman is so fresh in the minds of people in Gotham City since she hasn't been around that long. Another part of the writing that I have a problem with is the whole Black Canary, the exchange between Black Canary and Batgirl. We start off with Batgirl showing up and saying to Black Canary, why are you sleeping? And she goes, oh, well, uh, we've got something to do in the morning. But she's sleeping. She's not doing anything. She's sleeping. <laughs> she leaves. She goes to the dojo in the middle of the night. And then after slapping some sense into her, literally, she says... She heard about this other guy named Grotesque and Batgirl could go take care of it. But literally, not even six pages before that, Black Canary is on the page, rolling out of bed, yawning, going, you sneaking up on me is probably not the brightest idea, to which Batgirl responds, I'm not feeling all that bright lately anyway. Going to bed a little early, aren't we, Dinah? And then she says, the birds have been on the run a bit, as you know. I got a thing in the morning. She's got a thing in the morning, and she's sleeping. Then we have her say after they get done fighting, again, this is still in the middle of the night, we have some intel on something that might be going down tonight, a snobby little creep called Grotesque, but we all have other priorities. Batgirl couldn't take this mission if she's available, the real Batgirl, I mean. Okay, so let me get this straight. They all have priorities, but Black Canary's priority was sleeping before Batgirl showed up to fight her in the middle of the night. Huh. There's a contradiction here because they all have other priorities that's happening now, but they have something going on in the morning, which is only probably in a matter of a couple hours, or I guess we could assume it's maybe like 10, 11 o'clock at night, given that there's a party taking place, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's the other problem. Let me get past the writing and go on to the art. First off, the facial expressions. I don't know what the heck's going on, but every single time Batgirl is on a rope swinging and she's or she's in an action shot she has the strangest looking faces like someone just punched her in the gut and her body is frozen in position it's not just when she's in action shots either just in general the facial expressions during the entire conversation with black canary and Batgirl are basically they all look every single face looks disgusted like what am i smelling i smell something disgusting the other problem is we had the scene where the billionaire gets murdered. It's stated that he's murdered, but all we saw was him get hit in the head with a cane. It wasn't even in the head because of the art showed it as he got hit on the side of his shoulder and some blood came out. 
I didn't realize that would kill somebody, but then again, okay, I, I guess I can deal with that. Okay, and my final bit that I have is, so I guess in the matter of only a couple issues, Barbara Gordon Sr. gained a significant amount of weight, suddenly has a lot more pounds around her face, and had her hair put up like she's an old woman. Barbara Gordon Sr. went from looking exactly like her daughter, only maybe about 15 years older, but not even looking 15 years older, to basically somewhere in her upper 50s with, you know, grandma haircut, and she packed on the pounds around her face. I don't know what happened there, but she went from looking at least somewhat attractive to looking like she is basically up there in her age. Which is odd, because if they want to stick with this look that they have in this issue, that's fine, but I'm not sure why she looks so much different than the past issues. So that's all I've got. Overall, I think this was a complete waste of time. I didn't really feel like there was a lot of development. We still, even though we were told that, oh, well, we're going to start to see the reveal of the secrets of what happened with Batgirl, that was supposed to happen in issue 5, issue 6, this issue. We still haven't seen anything. They keep leading us on, and now we're going to follow the memories of a henchman that was next to Joker as he shot Barbara Gordon in the next issue. See how that works out. I'm going to give this one out of five veterans. You know, to be perfectly honest, there was actually a lot of good things that I liked in this issue. I didn't totally despise it like I usually do this title. And again, I don't try to do that even though I've really long since given up on this title. But I like that Barbara and Canary kind of talk about how she's been acting since she became Batgirl again. And this might be a little subjective because I kind of co-sign and relate to what they were saying you know like you've not been acting yourself since you became Batgirl again you've not been doing what you we all know you're capable of doing and Barbara's like yeah I know I, I, I recognize that I've been feeling like that for a while you know I've been getting beaten up left and right I've, I've been you know kind of too sappy and like really I think I've been saying that in every single issue about how this isn't Barbara Gordon or whatever and it's a hell of a thing but like that whole conversation felt like it felt like that one I read I read a uh I think I read a Birds of Prey special once. Josh showed it to me, where it was Dinah and Barbara talking, like they're like they're like in a room on a couch, like eating and watching TV, and they're kind of talking like this. It's written by Gail Simone, and it was really good. And this feels like the Gail Simone that I that is so f- famous and everyone loves. This feels this feels like the woman that I've heard about for for years and years and years. This is, feels like the writer that I've wanted to read because I really like that scene. I like that. I liked how it ended. You know, like oh, give me the the dress smart, have some on it. I like the assertiveness. I liked them addressing what really is like a glaring problem in the title if Batgirl is supposed to be so awesome and so cool you know so clever like they say every single time then she needs to show it and they address that she's not been showing it and I really really like that I like that Canaries wanted to help her out I like that Barbara realizes herself I like that sort of development because it is development you know I can understand being traumatized and going through PTSD but there's a certain line where it becomes, after a while, when all, if all your character does is brood and, you know, feel sorry for themselves, it's just unpleasant. And there's been a lot of, you know, other instances that I've not, I've really not liked in the title. But here, it's the characters being smart. It's the characters not following tropes and actually realizing what's going on and just being intelligent. And I, I want Barbara Gordon to be Barbara Gordon, that not only that I recognize, but Barbara Gordon that, that people can look at saying, yeah, you know, that's a real hero right there. And for them not to just tell it all the time without showing it. So I, I do like a lot that she was actually, you know, a crime fighter and didn't just, you know, build herself up without doing anything about it. Not everything was great in this issue, though. I agree with Dustin. The second artist, Aletha Martinez, 
I wasn't feeling her art nearly as much. I actually really like Adrian Saif's art most of the time, even though I think it's a little inconsistent. But here, I mean, like the opening page is uh, it's kind of a goofy picture, but I thought the detail was nice. And it probably made me appreciate it more because contrasted with Martinez's art, that one was very, very flat. I agree with Dustin that that girl's pose when she's swinging on the rope looks like she's falling asleep. And there's a serious dearth of facial expressions most of the time. Like, Becker really looks weird. Canary looks, looks weird. Gordon looks weird. Everybody looks kind of odd. So I like that that Saif, you know, did most of the issue, at least. Uh, the scene with the, the two Gordons, I thought, wasn't very good. The whole, the whole thing, oh, I left because of our, our son, James Jr. It's really hard for me to care when we we literally did this, like, several months ago, back when the initial James Jr. storyline, where Barbara Sr. was there in the story and was confronted by it, and we saw her in flashbacks. And also, whenever they hammer home the fact that, oh, James Gordon, he never loved, stopped loving his, you know, horrible wife, and he would never say a bad word about her. To me, that, that just sounds like wishful thinking from a female writer. No, 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 no. I do not want to use Gil Simone's sex as a crutch for my criticism of her. But that really does feel like a type of young adult thing where it's a single, fam- single father uh, household, the daughter growing up. The father is kind of lovelorn, and it just feels like, like a cliche to me. And because he had, he remarried and had, you know, another love again, it's really hard for me to care or even like treat that seriously. I mean, are we really supposed to like, you know, feel bad for him when we seen him with Sarah all those years ago? Like, I I know it's a different continuity and all that, but even still, it's so soon that it's just hard to swallow. So I kind of liked, I liked uh, the middle parts of it. I liked, I didn't like the ending. Well, I mean, because it is more of Gail Simone exploiting the killing joke. I know that Barbara kind of needs to confront that, but it's like, it's him. Not the Joker, but one of his henchmen. That's not good enough. Come on now. Cut it out. But this this issue has this issue had a lot going for it. So I actually come out a little positive this time and give it a three out of five better ranks. Yeah, I think there were two bits in this issue which I found not necessarily liked, but found interesting enough. I think it is an interesting idea to look at the henchmen, the guys behind the Joker, because if you do look back at that, it's not really explained who they are or what they're doing there. I've, there's not really any purpose for them being in the book. Besides beating up Commissioner Gordon. I suppose. But yeah, you never really learn anything about them. So it's an interesting thing to look at, but it's very much in the style of James Gordon Jr. And then it's a character who's always been there, but never really, no one's ever thought to do anything with. But then, as Don was saying, you know, it's it's kind of like, it's you, it's the henchman. And it's a bit like, so? It's probably <laughs> just a hired goon, just, you know, does a lot of jobs for a lot of people. The other thing I found slightly interesting is just the bit with her talking to Black Canary and the bit where you know she just slapped her on the face and says what are you doing you can walk again why are you moaning and I'm not sure if that was what Gail Simone was going for if it was damage control in terms of fan reactions and stuff Dustin brought up the bit about someone mistaking her for Batwoman I almost feel that's Gail Simone justifying her being called Batgirl in the fact that the way she says no I'm Batgirl making it proud that she's Batgirl so that people aren't then just going around going like, why is she Batgirl? That's so misogynistic. You know, she's she's a woman. So I, I don't know how I feel about that. I You know, if that's what it was there for, then it, it might make some people feel better. I've never really been offended by the idea of her being Batgirl. It's just her name. She's grown up with that title, supposedly. The main issue I have with this book is the fact that Barbara Gordon is a horrible person in this. I think she's a horrible <laughs> character. I don't like anything about her. All she does is moan about... She's so 
selfish in that she's just talking about herself all the way through. It's never about bringing people to justice and saving civilians and stuff. It's always about, oh, me, me, me. I couldn't walk, but now I can. It's a miracle I can walk, but I, I don't like being able to walk because it's sad. Oh, the Joker did it. Do you remember that? That oh, was really sad. And then when she does beat up a bad guy, it's like, yeah, I did this. Me, Barbara Gordon, I just beat up a bad guy. Yeah, go me. And it's like, I don't enjoy anything about her. I think she's a horrible character and I don't like reading her. Hopefully that's going to change with her now being slapped around the face. And hopefully she'll, <laughs> hopefully she'll grow up a bit. I don't think Gail Simone was justified in bringing up the James Gordon Jr. Obviously that was a story written to, it's in canon, it's to be used, but it felt a bit like she was just going, oh yeah, I can link to this story, which everybody loves. The storyline itself is interesting enough i just hate the character at the moment and hopefully that will change because i obviously want to like her i'll give it two out of five batarangs see i mean i understand that i'm probably in the minority of of people that don't like the killing joke basically because of what it represents but i don't understand why this one story has to define the character as we see her now. It just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, let's see here. Okay, well, number one, just plotting-wise, it seems like nowadays, and this is so true, it's not an exaggeration, every comic and its mother will begin with a certain scene, then flash back, and then end with that scene. And, you know, of course, we have that here with Batgirl. And I guess it works fine, but there's really no added flair. It doesn't really add anything special. So I don't know why we can't go from point A to point B. What's really, like, great about starting off the way we did. I guess, you know, you know, we introduce or we start right away with the bad guy, which I guess was the main point. But it's not like he's a great <laughs> a great villain to be starting off with. The whole, this bad guy is stronger than me line is getting a little tired. This is the third time I think we, the mirror was, you know, stronger than her. Then Gretel somehow knocked her out. And now I have this guy. And, you know, obviously Batgirl is not the strongest hero by far, but, you know, she doesn't, she shouldn't be complaining about it this much. You know, she's, she's quicker to act in, in another fashion. Like she finally does with the grappling device, which is good to see. But I'm just hoping that if it really is true that, you know, there is something kind of holding her back, that she'll finally be able to get over it. And I'm glad at least that this issue does start to wrestle with what is holding you back. Why aren't you fighting to your potential? We do have another villain, you know, with his own quirks, not wanting to be seen without a mask, wanting to see Batgirl again, disappearing into the ether. And, you know, no, he's not compelling, but I do have to say that his entrance is better than Gretel's. So yeah. I applaud that at least. And and it seems like Simone's like, it seems like she really wants to produce these creative villains, not use ones that have been around, not, you know, pull and kill a moth or something like that. She wants her own villains. And I can certainly applaud her for that, but it seems like she's struggled a little bit with good ones. Gretel was just awful. So this is at least better. Okay. Donna and Batgirl. Yeah. I don't necessarily understand the the start of this, you know, coming to somebody's apartment in the middle of the night and asking for a training session. Yeah, I totally agree with Dustin, you know, why she's sleeping on the eve of an important mission that, you know, she puts a lot of focus on. I do wonder, how does this even fit in with the birds of prey? 
I, maybe I, I shouldn't even been thinking about it. They're just, you know, treat them as two separate books. But, you know, she's off, you know, the very first issue, Birds of Prey. She's like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Then all of a sudden she's on the team. Then that one issue, she's both off and on the team again. And now apparently here they are BFF. So I'm a little confused as to the state of their relationship. But number two, I must admit that I actually do really like the dojo scene here because it does at least feel normal. Yes, the dialogue is at some points way off between the two, especially with Dinah calling Babs a cheerleader and then Babs going off on that illusion. But, you know, the two of them working out together really feels like the old 52. And it even continues over with the tea session. It, it just seemed like, oh, yes, this is the Dinah and Babs that I have known and loved way back before this relaunch happened. And it was almost as if Gail Simone and I were play acting and I was Dinah and Gail Simone was Babs and I just slapped Babs and I took... <laughs> well, there's a point to this. I slapped some sense into her and I said, Gail Simone... I mean, Babs, you, you need to get your act together. And so I think that was like, that was a good thing. I think it was kind of like a cyber hit there that you need to like figure out your character and get with it. And she definitely needed that. So I, I like that there. One of the worst scenes, hands down, is with Jim and Bab Sr. Number one, it is wrong to marry your sibling. Oh, my word. Yes, we, <laughs> <laughs> well, number one, yes. I think we've talked about this, that Jim having, you know, that bright orange hair is like, wow. But when you see them together, you're like, uh, are you sure you were married? That seems, it's, it seems a little strange. And number two, I just think the scene is poorly written. It doesn't really follow any logical path. It just jumps from one thing to another. Jim bores out of nowhere that he had his wife traced. And then Barbara just says, you know, I had to leave. Like, there's no connection to that. I don't know. I had to leave. It was because of James Jr. It was just, it was such a random, I mean, you could have cut that out and we would have missed anything. I guess the final thing I'll talk about is grotesque. I already talked about him a little bit, but what really bothered me about, and overall, I will agree with Donovan. When I was coming into this, I thought, wow, is everyone going to be negative? And then the one person that like really needs to be critiquing Batgirl is going to be like, you know, this was kind of an okay issue. The thing about grotesque is why does Batgirl wait until he kills the host of the party before she leaps into action? Because she says, maybe I shouldn't get involved. And then the guy gets killed by Grotesque's club. And then she's like, yeah, Dinah was right. I do have a power. I need to defend this person. But he's already dead. Hasn't she already learned from the past six issues that, I don't know. So that was, that really bothered me, to be honest. I do just wonder about Grotesque, you know, what are his powers is he just like the Cavalier in disguise? You'll understand this reference if you're reading Batman Family with me. But, you know, we're back to the sewers. Batgirl is checking all these identities. And, oh, my word, how lucky we get one person that was with the Joker on the night she was shot. So I hope that we're resolved in this soon because I'm just getting sick of the killing joke. So hopefully it'll be fixed and then we can move on and have some good characterization. But I would say that this is actually a better issue than we have been seeing by far because the last issue is like the pits. So this, I think, has has gotten much better. We still have some some yardage to go to get back to where it should be. But, you know, I also, as a small detail, I liked the Catwoman loves me on the sewer walls. I thought that was a fun, fun little detail. Written by Batman. But- Oh, gosh. Uh, well, not after that pass issue. I would give this three out of five batterings. Okay, I just got to add something, which I completely, I can't believe I forgot this, but just adding to my 
rant about how horrible a person Barbara Gordon is. Oh, hey, one of my best friends slash person I hate because you potentially murdered someone. Hey, Dick Grayson, former lover slash best friend, childhood friend. I don't feel very good about myself, so I'm going to beat the crap out of you until I do. Uh, it's sexual tension is what it is. Yeah, but, I mean, they did that in Birds of Prey, though. Remember, Dinah was working out in the dojo to, like, relieve her stress and her tension, and then Katana comes down and they spar? I feel like it's just kind of a language, like, to get rid of the, the tension. Yeah, but... She was down there on her own, and then Katana comes down looking for some company. She didn't just go there and say, hey, I need someone to punch. Nah, I, I, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, they're friends, but she could have gotten for their punching bag. All right, so that is going to give Batgirl number seven a total of two and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, which is Detective Comics number seven. <laughs> Written by Tony Daniel. Art also by Tony Daniel. The issue starts off right where we last off. Charlotte Rivers has been stabbed. At this point, Snakeskin is getting the crap beat out of him by Charlotte's sister, Jill. Charlotte says, why are you laughing? And he goes, you're going to ruin the sensors in your hand. To which she stops hitting him. He tries to morph his face, and it doesn't seem to be working. Back at Batman, he has Charlotte Rivers and is telling Alfred to deploy the Bat-Sub right to his location, which means it's going to have to come up right in the middle of the Iceberg Casino. Snakeskin's still trying to change his face. He starts walking off and says he'll take care of Penguin. Jill needs to do her part. Back in the actual casino, Penguin is talking to all the Z-list characters, or Z-list villains, and uh, as he's talking to them, he says... Uh, Seems uh, that the camera's been hacked into and they, that someone called in a bomb threat. We need to evacuate the casino. Penguin starts walking around telling that he's going to go to his bunker to stay safe. And as he's doing that, the Z-list villains say, can't we go to the bunker too? And he says, no, I can protect your money, but I'm not protecting you. The GCPD is flying up to the casino. Charlotte Rivers is put into a life preserver full of ice. Batman says he has to go back and find out exactly what's going on. He starts to patch together that slowly he realizes that Jill was actually playing this game all along and revealing information to Batman. The sensors in her hand actually allow her to open up the safe in Penguin's Casino to access all the money. And as she is doing that, Snakeskin is approaching Penguin to basically shoot him. He pulls the trigger and as it turns out, he gets the back of the gun blows up into himself. Penguin stands there, not exactly knowing what's going on, but very unconcerned about what just happened. The Z-list villains proceed to say, we're backing out, we're not impressed by what's going on here. Switch back to Jill, who is emptying the safes. As she's doing that, Batman shows up and says, what is this all about? He plants a tracer on her, the Z-list villains show up, and essentially realize that Jill's stealing the money from them, and Batman's there, so they figure, oh, what the heck, we'll take out Batman too. As this is happening, Jill manages to break away so that she can attempt to kill Penguin. Doesn't seem to work because Batman pops out of nowhere, kicks Penguin's henchwoman in the head. As Penguin tries to fire upon Jill, Penguin gets taken out by Batman, and Jill goes to jail. As she's in jail, she's meet, she meets up with the man she left on the side of the road a couple issues back, Mr. Mosaic, and we find out that 
Jill is, in fact, the daughter of Mayor Hattie, and Mayor Hattie is also, obviously, the father of Charlotte Rivers. So, coincidentally enough, Mr. Mosaic says the mayor hired the best attorney possible. Attorney walks in, and, of course, he sits there and says, you know, I'm not really a big-wig attorney, and I wasn't hired by your pops. And his face changes, and suddenly we're standing in front of Snakeskin. That's the end of the issue. All right, Detective Comics number seven. This is the the only problems I had with the issue. Well, I shouldn't say only problems, but the problems that I'm going to focus on. The focus on the problem is that there's way too many characters. I've said this from the beginning. Tony Daniel needs to cut out some of these characters. He has way, way, way too much going on. The problem is I couldn't remember who Mr. Mosaic was when they showed him up until the point where they actually said his name and he made the comments about being a hitchhiker because she left him. I could not remember at all about who this character was or how relevant he was to this story because that was how long ago and how many new characters have we seen since then. The revelation that that Jill and Charlotte Rivers are Mayor Hattie's daughters is kind of interesting because to me, what is Bruce Wayne doing sleeping with the mayor's daughter? To me, that just seems odd, regardless of the fact that she is attractive and she is an investigative reporter and all this other crap that would make Bruce Wayne like her. Why would he want to be involved with the mayor's daughter? Especially at the same time when he's been, well, this obviously wasn't in the same book, but we remember Lincoln March from Batman, who's running against Mayor Hattie, and, you know, there's supposed to be some sort of cohesion between the books, but yet Bruce Wayne is endorsing one mayor candidate, Lincoln March. And at the same time, he's sleeping with the daughter of another mayor candidate. To me, that just seems like a conflict of interest, and I don't know that Lincoln March would want the backing of a guy who's sleeping with his opponent's daughter. But then again, we haven't seen Lincoln March in quite some time. There's just too many characters. I enjoy the art, and clearly he has an idea of a number of different characters that he's going to spin out of this story with those Z-list villains. But the one thing that I've always said about Tony Daniel is he always has too many characters, and he's always trying to make a character something that it doesn't need to be. There's plenty of villains out there. We didn't need to create an entire new rogues gallery of villains in seven issues of Detective Comics only so that you could continue to use these characters for the next couple, I don't know, however long he's going to be using, however long he's going to be on Detective Comics. So overall, I'm going to give this a two and a half out of five batterings. You know what? I actually kind of dug this issue. A lot, a lot does happen. There's, there are too many characters, and it's not all that great. <laughs> but I actually, this wasn't, this didn't feel stupid to me, which is maybe a little harsh, but that's how I feel. I do. Snakeskin was kind of a, a weird thing in that he's so messed up, and he's apparently missing an arm when he tries to kill Penguin. But he's apparently all fine by the end of the issue. I wonder what's going on there. Also, the issue opens up with Jill totally upset at him, you know, saying, oh, how could you do this to my sister? And he says, oh, well, that needed to happen. And then they're basically kissing at the end. That's the kind of writing that I don't not like, do not like from, like, a lot of comics these days because they're so quick to jump towards strong emotions that it feels so forced and just cheesy writing. Not even cheesy writing, just dumb. But by and large, it, this wasn't great, but I kind of liked how fast this is moving. This, this felt like a pretty decent, this felt like an old school comic. This felt to me like 
Doug Mensch run of Batman in the eighties, which means nothing to no one. But it felt that like it felt that kind of way where they had that society level Batman or Bruce Wayne. They had all these villains coming around, and it felt like I knew where Tony Dan was coming from when he was making this this issue. At least there were some other writing instances that I felt were kind of amateur, like when he and Alfred put Charlotte in that bunch of ice to save her life. Batman says, "Arrange the." Arrange to have Charlotte lifted to the ER. She's lost a lot of blood, but but by inducing her hypothermia, we managed to slow it down. The ice may have saved her life. And okay, okay, we know that now. But Alfred and him are you know trained medics. They should know what they just did. They don't have don't they, he does not have to explain to him or himself what they were doing. So that's just that's just exposition for the sake of it. And I think that if that was taken out dialogue wise, we would have been able to figure it out. But that's neither here nor there. I think there are. Don't, Daniel's, Daniel is actually at his best in this issue, in my opinion. It looks really good. There are a lot of panels. There are a lot of really nice looking characters and models. I don't feel, I don't feel this book is padded as much. I don't feel like it's written for the trade. Batman fighting looks really good. There's not a lot of instances of Batman being tough for tough's sake. In fact, I actually really like the line when he says, I'm, I'm taking you down, Jill. And she says, you're not a cop. You're not the law. And he says, and they show a panel of his mouth. He says, that hasn't stopped me yet. I think that's a pretty cool Batman line, to be honest. It's not him saying, no, spoilers, I'll make him bleed badly. It's not him trying to be tough like a, like a teenager. It sounds, that sounds like something Batman would say. And I thought it was pretty cool. Overall, I thought this, I really didn't know what was going on. But this was okay. This 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 was actually pretty decent. So I'll give this three out of five batterings. I also think that this was the best issue of Detective Comics you'd had for a long time, especially so much better than the last two. I actually thought it flowed a lot better, and I think, at least at this point, I don't think there were too many characters in the fact that I, I know who they all are. I thought the story flowed very well. All of them were involved enough in that it, it didn't feel like we were forgetting anyone for me, and yeah, I mean, the main thing is I, I recognize them. And I think the, the main issue I have with this book is I'm not sure how I'm supposed to read it. Because, you know, you can read Batman in so many different ways. You can have a serious Batman, you can have a lighthearted Batman, you can have a goofy Batman. And I like all of those interpretations. I just need to know which one I'm reading to get in the right mindset. Because obviously, if you think you're reading something serious, and then it turns out to be absolutely insane, you, you just don't know how to take it. And that's the main issue I'm having with this because if it is meant to be a slightly not not goofy but not to be taken completely seriously Batman then I like the rogues gallery villains I think Donovan was saying last month how you know they were, they were quite fun it was a bit almost Grant Morrison in the fact that there were all these slightly obscure villains who were we've never really heard of before I've always quite liked that concept about you know villains and heroes having to try and make it in the in the DC universe to become legitimate heroes or villains. So I quite like them, but then if that's the case, then I think Batman written a bit brutishly. I, although not so much in this issue, which is probably why I liked it so much. But again, Dom was saying how, you know, he can come across as that, you know, the, the whole bloodbath scenario from the last issue, which made us all yeah. cringe. Oh gosh. Um, they're kind of contrasting things, but. So that's the main issue I have with it. I'm just not exactly sure how to interpret it. But I thought it was quite fun. I th- I definitely thought it flowed well and interested to see where it's going. I haven't got any issues with that. I thought the art was pretty good. It probably helped having a background artist for the issue, although looking through it now, there aren't that many backgrounds in it. But I actually quite enjoyed this issue, so I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings. This was the issue this month that I liked the least, and... I guess I, I really haven't been too much of a fan of detectives, so I apologize. I don't mean to <laughs> not like it. I'm really trying. It's okay. Uh, no- <laughs> Number one, gross, 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 gross. 
Jill kissing snakeskin. That is a shipper I don't need. Okay, I think this could have been a good issue had there been less subterfuge. Yes, I get to use the word subterfuge. And back and forth as to who is allied with whom because it's really all over the place. It was like an episode of Pretty Little Liars, and I can follow that, but I couldn't really follow this. I don't really understand how Jill is in the vault with Batman and Penguin's investors, or as Dustin calls them, his Z-list characters there. And then suddenly she is with Penguin elsewhere. How did she? How did she go over? I, 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 how did he let her out of her sight? Out of his sight? I don't know. Um, when did she leave? Yeah. Why didn't he keep track of her? These are questions that will never be answered. Again, we see Batman risking a great deal to help Charlotte. And of course, I guess we'll see how they fare later. Perhaps this is just going off on a wild thing here. Perhaps because she was submerged in ice. This is symbolic and she will become Nora and Batman will become Mr. Freeze. We think. We think. (laughs) 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 Well, this is, you know, not our 52. It's a different 52. So perhaps. I think Jill could have been an interesting character. Yeah, she reminds me of the woman from Kill Bill, and I think we've talked about that before. And then she's like a straight copy of some other other character, I think. But, you know, she could have been a good character. But it seems like she is just misplaced in a bad story. And then, you know, we have to see some sort of depth thrust upon her, you know, give her some daddy issues. That's That'll make the, the readers really sympathize with her. You know, she's just basically like Gretel, in my opinion, in Batgirl. This character that you're supposed to care about, but you don't really. And then you see, like, they have a tragic past. And, of course, you know, she did sort of have a tragic past here. But it just doesn't really work. I, I think it could have been a good story, but there was just way too much going on. So too many characters for Dustin. And in my opinion, just, like, too much story. If you could, you know, maybe one or two things focus on them, I think that would be good, rather than filling your, your stew with all sorts of ingredients. 2.5 out of 5. All right, so it is going to give Detective Comics number 7 a total of... Two and a half out of five. Better ranks. Let's move into our next issue, Batwoman number seven. Enjoy feasting on your bones. Batwoman number seven. Written by W. Hayden Blackman and J.H. Williams III, with art by Amy Reader. Batwoman's story, now. Continuing on from the last issue and her fight with the hook, Batwoman defeats her attacker and rips the artificial appendage from his wrist, which turns out to be much more than meets the eye. Once removed, the hook appears to be alive and parasitic, screaming, Give me back my body, obviously needing a host as a vehicle. As this is happening, the host body transforms, shrinking down to a man Batwoman knows as Rush. At this point, Falcon appears with the missing children on a chain and several monsters at his side, including the Weeping Woman, and Killer Croc, as well as Bloody Mary. Jacob's story, three weeks ago. Jacob is back visiting Beth in the hospital, relating to her how different Beth and Kate were when Beth stretches out her fingers towards him. Kate's story, two weeks ago. Kate and Maggie are out at a sushi restaurant when, through the window, Kate sees the leader of the religion of crime, who is apparently tracking her, but Kate turns him away. Marrow's story, two months ago. We see how Marrow summons and recruits Bloody Mary. Maggie's story, one week ago. Maggie and the GCPD are in battle with a mutated killer croc and a whole group of anthropomorphic villains. Maggie manages to arrest a woman named Soon, who she begins to interrogate about Medusa. Chase's story, one week ago. Chase is setting up Batwoman with all the latest tech that the DEO has to offer and briefing her on her next mission. 
liberating soon and bringing her to the DEO, right under Maggie's nose. Batwoman story, now. Batwoman gets ready to battle Falcon's monsters. To be continued. Alright, Batwoman number seven. Um, I gotta say, the I, I kind of dig the the storytelling style of kind of, sh- you know, separating the different characters and telling us a little bit about... I guess the only thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to me sometimes is the fact that we have the same character at multiple points at different time periods. To me, that gets a little bit confusing. I want to say we had Batwoman in the beginning, we had Batwoman talking to the Chase, even though we already saw that it was Chase's story, but we already saw Batwoman, and then we had Batwoman at the end. To me, it just it gets a little confusing when the characters' stories start to intersect, and why do we need to label it as a character story instead of just labeling it with the times? That's the only thing that kind of bugs me. Overall, I thought this was an interesting issue. I, I like the idea of the, the hook actually taking control of a host, because that was kind of interesting. I didn't see that coming. That was a, quite a surprise there. The... The thing that's becoming the most interesting thing to me is D- the DEO and Chase. I said this before, the, that whole organization and their ties to Batman before the New 52, way, way before, has always been something that's really interesting to me. To, so to see it slowly being revealed, bits and pieces of the DEO within the New 52 is, is very, very interesting to me. The art... It, it's one of those things where I, I enjoy the art, but I know that I'm not going to be getting this art for much longer, so it's probably like an overappreciation. I thought the art in the last issue was a slight tad better. I'm not real sure why, especially in the last issue where Batgirl gets shot numerous times and the bullets are just pinging off her uniform. Those few pages, I believe that was Chase's story, those few pages I really liked, and I didn't really find uh, something in this issue that I could I could match and say this is as good as the last issue. Overall, it was a it was a good issue, but I feel like this is just you know one of those middle issues that's slowly moving towards something else. So I'm going to give this three out of five batterings. You know, I think that contrary to Dustin, I'm not sure if I like. In fact, I don't. I don't think I care for the storytelling in that they go from story to story to story at different timelines. Because I think that's it gives it a stop and start motion that is kind of intrusive in reading this reading the comic. It's like Batman's story, Kate's story, Chase's story. I mean, like I feel that like my attention is being sort of like manipulated. Well, it is being limited, and I can't just kind of flow into it and kind of be immersed into it. And that is hampering my enjoyment of the comic. I don't think this is bad, but there were a few things. There were a couple of things I didn't care for. I kind of mentioned this last last issue. I think the violence in this book was a bit over the top when she yanks the guy's hook out of his arm. Not so much the act of itself, but you just you just see it the whole thing, and, and like 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 blood and entrails oozes from his arm. And to me, that mm-hmm. felt like. I really see this in a DC comic? Wouldn't I see this like in an uh, image comic or Top Cow or whatever? Other, ty- other I don't know, companies or whatever. This just felt like... I have more to say about the violence in comics in the next review, but th- this felt out of place. This didn't need to be there, and I felt that you could creatively do it differently. I mean, they chose they chose the show, and that's whatever. I wasn't offended, but I was kind of just kind of put off. Also, Killer Croc, what the heck? <laughs> Come on, I don't know we, we kind of complained about the way he's looked in comics before, but he has three eyes now, or is that or six eyes? Is that what we're doing? How is that even crocodile-like? I actually like the art in this issue. It actually looks a bit anime-ish to me. 
I like how they have Maggie looking because it's really easy to say, oh, these people, these people are gay, but like they, they're basically drawn, you know, still very, very attractive, seemingly heterosexual women. And I think that, you know, Maggie looks like a real life lesbian where she's like kind of like drawn best in a masculine way. And I think Kate is kind of, cause Kate has that kind of kooky sense of fashion. I liked, I like that design. I like that kind of scene. Overall though, I didn't, besides those comments, I didn't take much with this story either. I'm not so much invested in this sort of like storyline with the DEO as Dustin is. And I really don't know where all these villains are coming from. Like all of a sudden these villains are just there. Oh, it's Falcon. Oh, it's Bloody Mary. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'll give this two and a half out of five batterings. I really, really enjoyed this issue. I thought it was a big improvement over the last issue, even though it was very similar in style, but I th- I'm not sure if it's because last, last issue I didn't register that it was the whole arc was going to be written like that. And I thought it was very much a setup issue. I still think that it, it was, but I think that in this issue we explore in more depth in those jumping through the time. I don't find it intrusive and I really enjoy the, the technique that it is written in and I like perhaps not knowing who a character is but then jumping through time and characters we learn things about other people and, and why things are the way they are. I'm definitely not adverse to the violence in the book and I think that opposed to Dustin I thought that the art was actually better in this issue than the the last issue. I, I recognize that the, probably the Kate Page, the, uh, sorry, Chase's story was the best piece of art from the last issue and probably does top what she did in this issue, but I thought that it was more consistent and I liked the style. I thought that Bloody Mary was creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely a cool image. It was interesting to see Killer Croc. Again, we'll probably learn more about his mutation in the, in future issues. I just think that the, that issue took full advantage of the writing style and it, I thought it flowed a lot better than the last issue. And it's really nice to just learn again more about these supporting cast. You know, it's nice to learn about them independently. And although maybe they'll jump in and out of each other's stories, it's nice to have those few pages where we definitely learn a lot more about them, especially Jacob, where we didn't really know anything about him from the first arc. I'm actually going to give this five out of five batterings. I really enjoyed this issue and I'm looking forward to the rest of the arc. Yeah, let's talk about Donovan. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, what are your comments? I was going to go, you know, have a discussion with it, but I realized that was not TBU. So, yeah, the violence. I feel like kind of this macabre horror. I mean, it's certainly gotten maybe a little bit more macabre, but I think it certainly has always had this aspect ever since it started with the book of something. I don't remember what it's called. I know you people out there. When you read Detective, you know it's called. But it all started with the story and Alice and, and these vampires and different kind of horrific beings. So, like, I'm kind of, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's kind of turn-offish. You know, I always think of Psycho Pirate and Infinite Crisis. But it, it, it's kind of the book. It, it's just always been there. So it's not really anything new. So that's why I wanted to talk about Donovan for a bit. Yes, the it, this issue continues with the style of beginning and ending with the same scene, you know, a little ring composition there, and then having different stories within. You know, I'm better used to it now because we started this last issue. So it was a little easier to follow, and I like it because we do at least get to see different characters and follow in their perspectives, whereas it was more like, let's choose one character throughout, and it was normally Kate, and, you know, just go, it's always going to be her perspective. So it's good to get into other characters' heads. But at the same time, it is a little difficult to follow. And 
I, I wonder if it's going to continue in this vein or once we have new artists, if that's going to impact anything. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I thought it was weird and cool that, you know, the hook was almost a sentient being and, and the guy changed back to sort of a normal figure without it. I just thought, oh, wow, I was totally not expecting that. And that was pretty cool. Jacob, oh, I, I didn't understand that hospital scene because did Jacob not feel Bet's hand when she touched him? And, you know, what was that scene about, really? Why was he just kind of talking about Beth and, and Kate? I, I didn't really understand the point of that particular scene. I did find it amusing that this was a small detail. If you noticed when Kate was with Maggie in the, the coffee shop or wherever they were, I guess it was actually like an Italian restaurant. And she looks outside. There's a parking arrow. It says parking. And then it curves down and it, and the arrow is pointing directly to Abbott. I don't know if they intentionally did that, but that was just kind of something that was fun. I wonder if this is going to connect back into Batwoman's original run in Detective because this guy that came out, I can't remember what his name is now, but he kept talking kind of about this person that's over him. There's always some, you know, a bigger fish. And I just wonder if Alice is coming back. And then Killer Croc. I think we talked about this either last episode or two episodes ago. Just, I wasn't sure how that would fit in. And I thought, well, can't Batwoman keep with her own villains? And, you know, he was okay in this issue. I mean, obviously, you got to keep with these weird people like Bloody Mary and the Weeping Woman. So let's throw in a crocodile as well. But I think it would have survived without it. And it would have been great to just keep consistent and have original villains. But it was fine. So I take back, I guess, the, the negative things that I said. Four out of five batterings. So that is going to give Batwoman number seven a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman and Robin number seven. Damien, why don't you go check out the Hall of Holyisms? It's corny, but it's kind of cool. Batman and Robin, issue 7, written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Patrick Gleason. Crack, and that was the sound of your son's fingers fracturing. Nobody says to the Batmobile through a... Damn, I almost said Jason. Damien's receiver as Batman speeds over the Batmobile trying to save him. Nobody's pretty much brutalizing and torturing Jason, killing him slowly over the radio. So Batman can hear, and, you know, be even more mad. And while Jason's trying to be defiant, Batman is speeding over and just, like, drives the Batmobile over, like, a <laughs> a mile-long bridge into the boat and pretty much collides right into the boat in a pretty awesome splash page. Batman is absolutely enraged that Morgan thinks that he could dare, you know, get away with trying to kill his son and especially get away with it. So he just grabs him by the neck and they just start ta- just start having a big tussle. Morgan tries his, his uh, sonic devices over Batman, but Batman's already prepared for that. Snaps his elbow, and they have this big fist fight. Morgan has several knives, stabs Batman in the back a few times, says, yeah, ever since you beat me up in front of my father, my father hated me for some reason. Batman says, oh, this is all your fault, because if you didn't kill your mother, the only person who loved you, you wouldn't be alone. And they basically have this sort of psychobabble. Damien's watching all of this, trying to help, but he's too wounded to do anything. Batman eventually headbutts nobody right in the chest. They go to under the water. Batman grabs his body and just dunks him into a whole vat of acid and is keeping him down there. But then he sees Damien's face and relents, saying, come on, Damien, let's get out of here. We'll take nobody and dump on the Gotham Harbor Patrol. Nobody says, Damien, don't disappoint me. So Damien uses the, the move that we've seen a couple of times in the story, where you basically use your fingers to paralyze somebody through the head. He uses a full force and pokes his fingers right through the guy's head, saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. To be continued in the next issue, Atonement. All right, Batman and Robin, number seven. 
This was an interesting, I guess, conclusion, but then again, I believe there's at least one more issue with this story arc before it's actually going to wrap up. I only had a couple issues. The first issue with the art was that we see Damien Bloody on the second page, and then pages later when Batman bursts into the actual boat, uh, suddenly there's no blood on Damien at all. I found that a little odd. The other problem was if Damien's fingers were fractured and they showed that they were fractured and bent in all kinds of odd positions, how could he have still performed this lethal move with his fingers? That, to me, seems a little bit odd that, you know, even though he's got broken fingers, he somehow is able to perform a very precise move with his fingers. The only thing that I am I'm starting to wonder is, I know that I'm, I guess maybe I'm forgetting, but isn't that move also a way to knock your opponent out and not necessarily kill your opponent? Or am I wrong? I think the purpose is to paralyze them, yeah, knock them out. But if done incorrectly, it could kill them. Right. So my my thought is, if nobody did the move or showed Robin how to do the move correctly so that he wouldn't kill anybody... I think this cliffhanger is just a cliffhanger, and then suddenly we're going to realize that he's just paralyzed and knocked out. No, he, his his fingers are through the guy's head. This is how I see it. Yeah, unless it's a smart thing, it definitely looks yeah, like half his... I, I don't know. I'm just thinking that where can we go from here if, if the whole point of Robin not was going to betray betray his father because he was, you know, because he, he was convinced that he had to kill people. If it all ends with Robin actually killing somebody and Batman standing right there while it happens. I, I just feel like that would be a waste of the entire story if all we were gonna, all we needed to do was have Robin kill a guy in the middle of an alley while Batman's standing there and then have the same exact reaction. And obviously it's to an extreme because this nobody character has put the two of them through hell, but I don't know. It just, to me, it, it feels as if, to me, we're going to get this reveal next issue that... He didn't actually kill him. He just wanted to make it seem like he killed him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen. We'll, we'll find out next issue. I didn't really have much other to say. It was an action-packed issue that just was basically straightforward. Batman shows up. There's a bunch of, like like Don put it, psycho babble that was going back and forth. Although I did like the, the, the point that Batman made about how, you know, if, if nobody didn't kill his mother... That probably was the stupidest thing he ever did because she was the only one who actually ever cared for him. That that probably was the best put cycle babble in this entire issue. But overall, I, I didn't think it was bad, although I do want to see what happens in issue 8 to figure out how this is all going to end up. So I'm going to give this 3.5 out of 5 batteries. I have a big damn problem with the, the basic idea of this issue. And I have problems pretty much every single page. This is an intense issue. This is action driven, but the execution just really left me mad and really upset. And it's a shame because this is one of my favorite books out of the new 52 right now. I think it's just delivered in some ways or another every single time. And I think there's a lot to like in this issue too, but, but really this one just made me like, I was really, really pissed off when I read this. So I'll explain first and foremost, Peter Tomasi is just like, I'm not going to say what I was about to say. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Peter Tomasi is having way too much fun with this whole, like, this whole torture porn, essentially. 
saying, you know, oh, guess what I'm doing to your ten year old boy son, Batman? I'm breaking his fingers, and you know, I'm I'm put, I'm sitting my ass on his chest so he'll so he'll suffocate. You know, isn't that wonderful? And like, okay, I understand he's a villain, and I'm not even put off so much. I'm I'm not offended by the violence, but that's the whole, the whole thing. This this whole issue relies on the ability of shock value that violence brings. And this is just freaking juvenile. People's places are, are just covered in blood all over the place. And it just looks wrong to me. It just, I, Again, I don't have a problem with nudity. I don't have a problem with sex. I don't have a problem with violence. But there are ways to use them which drive the story. And this just felt like somebody really, really trying their darndest to be tough and, you know, dark and moody and intense and you know, just, just, you know, get you, get you by the, get you by the gut. And it just felt, it just felt like, it just felt over the top and ridiculous. I mean, there's one page where Batman, his entire, his, his entire body is covered in blood. Like he fell on like, like some sort of like hamburger plant or whatever, but it, it, it goes away. Like it, it's inconsistent. It just goes away all the time. Okay. Real, real quickly. What I did like, I liked him crashing the Batmobile into the boat. That was awesome. Some of the art's really cool. I liked him headbutting the guy, seemingly stabbing him with his ears. I thought that was kind of cool. But by and large, Batman's dialogue here was effing stupid. You try to murder my son, expect to live. I can understand. Okay. Batman's been driven to kill before. Having a final crisis, or not final crisis, an infinite crisis when Dick Grayson was nearly killed. It happened in Bruce Wayne Fugitive against David Kane. But there are ways to do it in which you were just trying to sound tough. And I think Batman posing first and foremost, instead of, you know, like jumping the guy who has a knife to his son's, you know, trachea. It's just ridiculous. In my opinion, if you if you're right, you try to murder my son, expect to get away, or expect to, you know expect for me to do nothing or whatever it would be better. Expect to live is like it's supposed to be written like, ooh, Batman's driven to kill. Nobody's in trouble now. He's never been done this before, and it comes off as totally, uh, it's totally wannabe to me. The whole thing with you know like, oh, ever since you beat me up, Batman, my father can't look at me for real. Seriously, we're we're doing this. This is, this is, this is the best you have. Oh no, my father doesn't like me because I was beat up by, you know, a badass martial artist. This is, this is seriously like this guy's whole problem the entire time. This is its entire reasoning. Okay. Batman dunking nobody into a vat of acid. No. Absolutely not. If he were to go through, go at his throat, if he were to like, I don't know, have him, if he was trying to kill him, that's one thing. Dunking him acid. Just saying the words dunked in acid just sounds like it's, it belongs like in the worst sort of like death metal heavy 90s image, I don't know, hollow foil cover, you know, super hardcore edgy comic book that we've all despised and, you know, thrown back away 20 years ago. And for Batman to do that is so stupid. And Robin poking his, his half of his hand through the guy's head saying, mm-hmm. forgive me, father, for I have sins. Not saying... I'm sorry, Father. Not saying I had to do it, Father. Saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. In an almost sarcastic way, just so he can end the issue. It just sounds so... It just sounds so phoned in. I, I swear to God. <sighs> I'm not going to make this, this show any longer than it is. But there were parts I liked, but they were, they were completely overshadowed by the parts I hated. One out of five batterings. I actually liked an issue for once. And I think... Which is, was a surprise for me. It was mostly down to the art. And I think that's because I, I think the coloring in this book was really good. Like the, the really violent reds and yellows and then the, the bright green of the acid worked really well. I, I'm definitely not opposed to the gratuitous violence. <laughs> I didn't mind half the dialogue. I didn't mind. Maybe I just passing it up and just looking at the, the fights more than reading it. 
Damien's line at the end, that definitely left the issue on a sound note. The dunking in acid was, I agree, completely wrong and out of character. Why Batman feels the need to take off his mask as well was, again, just odd, but not as bad as, obviously, dunking him in acid. I mean, there, there were bits in it which were obviously ridiculous. Batman being sort of over the top in his dialogue and violence as well. And that's that's definitely more on behalf of Batman because we can expect anything from you know, the, the villain. The whole kind of origin of nobody's name was a bit ridiculous, but I kind of like Bruce antagonizing him as he was fighting him. I thought that worked well. I'm starting to like Damien's characterization more in this, but then it was all ruined again at the end. So we have to wait to see next issue what happens with that, what he actually did or didn't do. But I mean, did anyone else think in that page where Bruce says, come on, let's get the hell out of here. And he starts walking off. And then we see Morgan saying, just before he says, you know, don't disappoint me. He looks exactly like Martian Manhunter. I kind of saw that. Which threw me off a bit. So I think I like the, before Batman takes off his cowl, I really like the art for once. And then afterwards it turned into the more cartoony, huge panels. I think I prefer the his smaller panels. I think they work a lot better and show off the very fluid work that Gleason does. I'll give this three out of five batterings. It It wasn't a very technical issue it wasn't a very deep it was more of a fight book which is what I read it for and I actually enjoyed it for that I think I probably don't agree so much with Tomasi's ideology because a lot of the stuff that I have read of for of his Batman and Robin I haven't really agreed with haven't enjoyed very much so just seeing more of a fight book I think is why I probably enjoyed it a lot more than I have done and maybe I'm overemphasizing that in my review but I, I did enjoy this issue a lot more than I have any other, so three out of five batterings. I certainly agree with Joe here that, you know, the art and the layouts were really great in this issue, and I especially like them during the Morgan and Batman interactions. You know, I think that this is just a perfect example of using the art to benefit the story, and you can really see, you know, during the fight that everything seems to bubble up and... I don't know everything that they've experienced through through you know their their years and and their journeys really just comes to the surface. And then all the while there is Damien and we really see this relationship take a big step and this is one of the relationships that you know you can't consider it a shipper but I've really been you know watching this as it grows and it's been one of my favorite to watch just because it is so dysfunctional and there's so many issues but you can see you know baby steps as it as it continues and I loved Damien with Morgan because Damien was just free it was free he was free to really follow his true nature and of course this was a play act but you know really in the end we'll we'll see I'll I'll talk about that but it just really fit because it's it's kind of like trying to shove a square into a circular hole with with Batman and Robin there it's just like they don't really mesh as well together so not only do we see Batman racing to save his son, and he was taking so many steps beyond the ethical line that he normally is on. You know, he just, like, is ramming his ship into the actual boat. He's nearly beating Morgan to death, practically dumping him in acid and holding him under. This is, like, not the Batman you would expect. 
which I can tell, I know that would put people off, but I just think like, wow, that is a man that, you know, loves his son and he's willing to do all these things for it. And, and, and I think that's just, I just think that's, that's great to see. And for once, this was a huge step as well. For once, Bruce is actually truthful with Damien instead of, you know, beating around the bush or saying, you know, that's for me to know and you not to know. He tells him the truth and he says, you know, that for a second, he actually did think that Damien betrayed him. And I thought, yes, honesty is what this relationship needs. So, yes. The end shows us that Morgan, even in his death, really helped to free Damien. You know, Damien kills Morgan, which was, that was pretty violent, seeing him stick his finger in his head like it were a pie. You know, oh my gosh, will he ever be able to to grow past this, though? <sighs> I don't, I just, I mean, it was powerful. You don't want to see it, but I think it made sense in the long run. So I guess I'm going against the, the grain of everybody else, but oh well. And of course, looking at that one page of Bruce showing his hatred, you know, his mask is off, which was strange to pull his mask off, but I guess kind of to pull him down to the level of Morgan. His eyes are black which is like really interesting color choice. I don't think it was an accident either. You know, the one panel, his eyes are black. And then he looks at his son, you know, and his son is watching him holding Morgan's head in the, well, his body in the acid. And, you know, he just realizes, wow, you know, I'm trying to teach my son that, you know, violence, complete violence isn't the answer. There's always a line and look what I'm doing. So he kind of becomes a Lucy. Uh, maybe that's not the right word, but cognizant of what he's doing and his eyes turn back to blue. So, you know, the question is, though, is Batman, you know, a good mentor to Damien? Because obviously he has missteps of his own. He's not a perfect person, which I'm going to be discussing in my comics class next year. But uh, mm. <laughs> I know. you know, is he a good mentor? Is he going to give Damien what he deserves? And Damien, can he really change? Should we force something on somebody? You know, should we force somebody to change in the first place? So, you know, Damien is either going to be a Jason Todd or he's going to be uh, a Tim Drake. And and I can see that Damien, for the love of his father, really wants to be a Tim Drake. But his nature is really going towards Jason Todd. And I just, I wonder if this is going to be a tragic relationship in the end. Overall, I mean, yeah, there were some missteps in this issue, but I really see a lot of positive points with it. I give it a four out of five. All right, so this is going to give Batman and Robin number seven a total of three out of five veterans. Let's move into our last issue, The Huntress number six. Wait for my signal. Sorry, caution isn't my style. Huntress number six of six, so sadly this is the last one, Crossbow at the Crossroads part six. Writer Paul Levitz, penciler Marcus Toe, inkers John Dell, and colorist Andrew Dollhouse. The issue opens on the Isle of Capri, where Ibn Hassan, the son of the recently slain chairman, is furious that no one could protect his father for a week after all the things he did for their country. Ibn Hassan will not allow Huntress to take another victim, but he will not agree to her being arrested either. Rather, he will pay a billion euros to see her dead. Meanwhile, Helena in yellow, not purple, that is to be noted for sure, speeds around the curvy roads of Capri, reflecting on the traffic as it compares to Gotham. Since the Polizia now have a picture of Helena, they have set up a checkpoint and are checking IDs. 
Before they can get to her, Huntress jumps out of her car and ziplines down a power cord using her belt. At the end of the line, she hits a marina and snags a boat. On the way, she calls Alessandro, and he relates to her the bounty on her head, that every officer in Italy is probably looking for her, and even the American NSA may be tapping phone calls to look for her. Learning that Ibn Hassan did this all from Capri, she turns around and tells Alessandro that she will be very curious to read the ending of the story. That night, Hunter scales the cliffs leading up to Ibn Hassan's fortress, reflecting that every fortress has a weak point, and they obviously did not think anyone would use this one. She reaches three sewer outputs, two of which are smelly, and one which may lead to a pool. At the other end, two guards are on duty, one actually trying to do his job. As the dutiful one checks out a squeaky filter, Huntress pops out of the pool, takes out the guards, and finds Ibn Hassan just as he wakes up in the morning. Huntress at least compliments him for sleeping alone, and Ibn Hassan makes one brave statement about his father before he turns into a little girl. Huntress calls the chairman a tyrant and a thief who stole his nation's wealth and the souls of its daughters. She gave them justice. Ibn Hassan does an about-face, saying he is not his father, and that he could do much for her if only she spare him. Huntress considers this and agrees, but he must not send another girl into sex trafficking, thanks him for the billion-dollar bounty compliment, and says he should make it double or nothing, and if no one collects in a year, two billion should be donated to charities for abused women. If he keeps these promises, she won't kill him. Later, at the airport, Helena, once again in purple, is having a tough time with her flight. First, no peanuts, then security coming after her. What's a girl to do? But it wouldn't be a challenge without the bounty. She considers her options when Kara pushes open a door and offers her a way out, and they take to the skies. Da, 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 da. <laughs> With Kara calling Helena partner. Next up, World's Finest. All right, the Huntress number six. This was an interesting issue. This wrapped up everything very nicely and still leads us to wait and want to see what happens with World's Finest. World's Finest is obviously going to feature Power Girl and Huntress, and this was kind of like the lead-in, I guess, lead-in series to World's Finest. What's interesting about this entire series is that it's clearly not taking place in Earth 2, but at the same time, there's not a lot of references making us believe that this isn't Huntress that we've known all along begging us to wonder whether or not there is actually an actual Huntress in the Earth that we are most most of the time reading about. That's the one thing that I have to wonder, is there no longer a Huntress? Is the Huntress that we know only from Earth 2, and that's it's just been that way? So, and that really has nothing to do with this issue, so let me get on to this issue. I love the art, I love the silhouettes that we've seen yet again, with the art inside the silhouettes. I thought the story of wrapping it up and basically Huntress going to see San, basically telling him that he has to stop trafficking women and doing all these things. I mean, she's accomplishing all of the things that she wanted to do. She eliminated the, the, the problem that she needed to eliminate. And then at the same time, she took care of another problem by basically using a threat of someone's life to, to basically make someone believe that she's capable of doing this by, well, one, she killed her, killed the guy's father, and two, making him believe that he's not safe no matter where he is, even if he's at his estate where nobody else can get to. So, overall, Marcus Toe's art, great art, can't wait to see him on Batwing, I just hope he's on Batwing long enough to 
to make a difference on Batwing so Batwing doesn't go under because I'd hate to see Marcus Toe without a book yet again. But great art. Paul Levitz did a great job with the story. All in all, I think this six-issue miniseries probably could have been four issues and it would have been a, lot, a little bit better. I think we could have easily cut out two issues total out of all of the filler stuff. I'm not real sure what the whole point of having the person at the newspaper and the the whole side story with Huntress linking up with those two two Italians, female and the male. I don't really understand the whole point of that. That just, to me, seemed like, unless that's leading into World's Finest, I don't really understand what the point of that was. But overall, it was a good issue. I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. I don't have much to say about this issue at all. And it kind of hurts me to say this, but, like, with this series now officially done, it was kind of boring. I thought it had really good art. Marcus Toe kept my interest, certainly. There were some good moments with Helena. I, I, I liked – this is one of the, the most straight that she's been portrayed. She had some good moments. She had some really nice moments. But when I look back on it, it's like, what what all really happened? I mean, she kind of posed as a solicitor and beat up a you know pimp or whatever. She fought a guy in a turban. She had some friends, and she was on a boat. She killed one guy, and she didn't kill his son. And there was a human trafficking plot throughout. I mean, I'm really not trying to be mean. I, I, I you know, the, the story, the story started out fine. I liked the first issue, but throughout the, each successive issue, there was less and less that was. I mean, there was stuff going on, but there was less that was really. It really was not all that engaging to me. And I'm not. I don't think I'm going to buy the trade because while well, I, I want to support these guys. I don't think I'll ever read this again. And I really, I don't want to say this is bad. You know, that this is technically good, but like, you know, I suppose if it's not engaging me, then, then it doesn't, it kind of fails at that. The ending, the ending, I kind of wasn't surprised by, and that's not necessarily the book's fault, but ever since they released those, those images of Hunters and, and Power Girl, that I was sort of seeing it coming. Maybe that was just in my mindset at the time. I do like the, the, the hint of when, when the shot of Power Girl has a handprint on it. Which is really a really nice subtle touch by Marcus Toe. Overall, I gotta say I really didn't care, and I'm I'm sorry to say that because I feel that like this book deserves a little bit more credit than than I'm giving it. But really, it's just it was just kind of there for me. It's two and a half out of five batterings. I actually found this issue read really fast, but that wasn't a bad thing for me because I think this miniseries overall has been very very padded, but not in a way that makes it read fast. Just it's felt like there's been lots of extra things which you read thinking are going to be important, which never play out. And I think I agree with Dustin that this probably could have been cut down to four issues and it would have been a much more interesting, better paced story for it. I thought that this actual issue, I I thought it was actually pretty interesting. I thought that it, it did wrap up the story pretty well. It probably could have used the last half of the last issue to start with and then finished with this and introducing Power Girl into it, which, again, yeah, I was also expecting just probably from all the previews we've seen of World's Finest. Definitely not a bad issue, definitely not a bad series, just it's it's it, it never held my attention properly all the way through, and I, I think I haven't been the biggest Huntress fan anyway, and I think that it's also has, like I said, been quite a padded series, so I think it's one that it may potentially read better in trade, but I think if you're a Hunters fan, you'd probably like it, but it, it wasn't exactly for me, but I still appreciated what it was trying to do and definitely trying to appreciate it, trying to establish Huntress as a character. It's just a shame we still don't know exactly <laughs> what dimension she's in. 
but I'll give the issue two and a half out of five batterings. You know, I thought it was a good issue, but it goes by so quickly, which, you know, some of the earlier issues go by kind of slowly. We're building up the details. So, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll, you know, agree with Liz that, or the Liz's that, you know, it, it, <laughs> it would have probably been okay with four issues but it seems like a lot of things are kind of left unfinished as well and and things don't really fit as much ibn hassan he wants blood and he goes to an extreme length you know the the prize on huntress's head but then he turns like a leaf in the middle of the issue i mean he makes one powerful statement and then all of a sudden he's this whiny little person like oh don't kill me don't kill me i mean where where is that? I, where is the fight that he was showing before? I, I thought that was kind of kind of different. Why did Helena even let him live if she just killed his father, the chairman, and then uh, Moretti as well? I mean, why leave one person alive? How will one person make a difference in the trade? I, I think she should have just, well, you know, I always say Huntress, be a good person. But, you know, she in her character, she probably should have just taken him out. And I was a little naive to, to let him live. The conversation between Alessandro and Helena, kind of strange, misplaced somehow. What does it accomplish? What does it accomplish? It, it seems like it just leaves the relationship, not, you know, implying there's a relationship, but it just leaves a lot of stuff open. And she says, Oh, I'll be interested to see how the story ends. What does that even mean? I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of strange. I just wanted something more, I think, from the reporter vigilante angle. Some details here. How do the cops get down the hill? At the same time, well, practically at the same time, but so quickly behind Helena when she used a belt, yes, a belt, to get down or to slide down a power line. I feel like she would have been very far ahead of them and they would have been tumbling down this hill, but that's just a minor detail. I I liked Huntress and the sewer scene. I just thought that was cute. Like, oh, I'm not going in that one. It's smelly. But I have no conceivable idea how she fit into the pool filter. Those things are kind of small, so I guess I just shouldn't think about it. Kara does mention Michael, which I thought was interesting because I assume it's Michael Holt, a.k.a. Mr. Terrific, and of course I have not been catching up on or reading up on that one. But door is canceled. Okay. I do remember in the first issue, and I thought, okay, this is where, you know, this girl... Well, see, this is where it's confusing because that was Karen, or or so we were thinking you know in his jersey but this is Kara so that's that's a bit strange but you know I liked the setup to world's finest and I'm excited for it I think that it'll be a good a good second you know to birds of prey another you know girls team so I hope that it's well written you know I think it was a great series overall I think it certainly destroyed my expectations and I I think the rest of you could potentially say the same thing that we came in thinking it wasn't going to be that good, but we were we were pleasantly surprised. I will give this four out of five batarangs. All right, so Huntress number six gets a total of three and a half out of five batarangs. That's all our books. Let's go over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello there and welcome back to Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick and today I'm going to be reviewing a new book called The Riddle Factory. Now this was released as a one-shot book in 1995 and it's written by Mr. Matt Wagner. 
I've also reviewed Trinity, Faces, Batman and the Monster Men, Batman and the Mad Monk. They were all done by Matt Wagner, and I've been impressed with most of those stories. A couple of bad ones, a couple of good ones. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Matt Wagner can do with the Riddler. Uh, but he will not be providing the art in this story. The art is going to be provided by Dave Taylor, who has provided art for series like Shadow of the Bat and World's Finest and did some of the stuff that I reviewed in Nightfall. And um, I think he's quite a worthy artist, so I'm looking forward to see what the two of them can do together with such an iconic Batman rogue. Now, I should mention before I start this review that this will be my last episode for Bat Books for Beginners, but I'll tell you more about that once I've completed my review of the book. So, here it goes, my last ever review for Bat Books for Beginners. Batman, this is it, the end of the game. I'm a little sad, actually. You were a worthy opponent, but then I told you I'd make a killing at the toy fair. So the plot in this story revolves around the Riddler and uh, a new public access TV show that he is running. He humiliates and exposes the secrets of the rich whilst giving his audience the chance to win cash prizes or suffer very painful punishment depending on whether they can answer his riddles correctly. Batman and Gordon are on the case to shut Riddler down, especially when they learn that on his next show the Riddler will be exposing the secrets of Bruce Wayne. afraid of the big black bat. So in review, as I mentioned, the big question is, can Matt Wagner do justice to the Riddler? And all in all, I generally liked this story. It's quite similar to some of those other villains going legit stories. It's, um, it is very short though, and that does become a bit of a weakness because the conclusion is rushed, it's disappointing. Uh, Batman solves the master plan of the Riddler so quickly and that's often a problem with these very short stories, just the ending usually is a bit rushed. The TV show is a good platform to use the Riddler's ego and his need to tell riddles and gain attention, and I thought the TV show was a good way of showing that. But all in all, what we get is a decent story, it's nothing special, but I think it's worth a look if you are a big Riddler fan. The art by Dave Taylor is light and cartoonish generally, it includes a few over-the-top reactions from the Riddler that wouldn't have looked out of place in the 1960s show. But it was fun, and it fitted the story. I thought the combination of Wagner and Taylor was a good pair for this story, and it worked well for the Riddler's tone. So all in all, this was a fun story, but a bit of a throwaway, I would say. Just check it out if you're a big Riddler fan. I know there are a couple out there, but this isn't vital reading. All in all, three out of five Batarangs. Hello? Riddle me this, Batman. What are the chilliest 12 inches in the world? It's the Riddler. The chilliest 12 inches in the world, cold feet. So, as I mentioned at the top of the review, this is going to be my last Bat Books for Beginners episode. After almost four years and 76 episodes, I've decided it's time to call it a day. 
Now, I've enjoyed every moment of it. Working through Batman's stories has been really great fun. I started with Year One back in 2008. I managed to get to just around nightfall, uh, the year of 1995-96. And uh, have gone through some really great stories uh, in that time. A few bad ones, a few great ones. Nightfall was always a big target of mine, so I was very happy that I reached that. I'd like to thank Dustin for helping me find all the comics I've needed over the years. And uh, to all of you out there listening and reading along, it's been a fun ride. I can hear you begging the question, what is the future for BBFB? Well, the good news is this segment will be continuing without me on schedule following that same reading list. But how, I hear you ask? Well, John from the regular show has decided to take up the mantle of Bat Books for Beginners. I'll be handing over the cow to him and he'll be starting from the next episode. I'm sure John's got lots to bring to BBFB and I can't wait to listen along with everyone else to hear his new episodes. So don't worry, BBFB will be back next episode with a new host. I'm glad he's British to keep the, uh, keep the tradition going. And the book to read for the next episode is GCPD. It's Gotham City PD. It's a story following the cops in Gotham, like Gordon and Bullock. Uh, sounds good, right? I, I can't wait to hear what John has to say about it. So good luck to you, John. I hope it all goes well. So this is the end, friends. Thanks to the Batman universe for letting me have this segment. And thanks to John for continuing it. Uh, And all the best to you out there, all the listeners. And before I send you back to Dustin and the guys, I've got one message for you. Keep reading. Farewell, everyone, and all the best. So that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you are picking up the next set of books for the next episode. And also be sure to check out the feed on the website for all the latest Bat Books for Beginners episodes. All right, let's go over what we'll be covering next time on the podcast. Next time we will be covering Batman number 7, Batman Beyond Unlimited number 2, Batman Odyssey number 6, Birds of Prey number 7, Catwoman number 7, Nightwing number 7, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number seven, and Batman the Dark Knight, number seven. So that's what we'll be covering next time on the show. Also, we'll be having our DCU Spotlight. We'll suggest a DCU book for you from the month of March in the next episode as well. So that's everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website, check out all the daily news, and check out all the other podcasts we offer. In addition to that, like I said, check out Bat Books for Beginners feed as well. You can head over to the forums and become a member. If you do so, please make sure to send us an email so that we can make sure that your registered account gets activated. Also, you can leave us a review on iTunes. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news from the Batman universe. That's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Jay. And this is Stella. 
and you've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. See you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. That was scary. Three, two, two and a half. <laughs> Ready. Jump the shark. What? <laughs> <laughs> no. Pronouns. She went from being, uh, I guess the best way to put it is a milf. Oh my uh, gosh. That, uh, <laughs> I can't believe you just did this. <laughs> I can't believe you right now. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, okay, okay. She looked just like Barbara. Yes, that's my point. That's where I'm going with this. Uh, trust me, I'm, I got a point. I didn't really want to say the word, but I couldn't think of a better way to put it. Okay? You could have said a yummy mummy. Oh. That sounds worse. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it just seems like either they decided to change the look of the character because the comments were that she looked like a MILF, or the fact oh. that, uh, I can stop using the word if it's offending Stella. Just because, oh my gosh. She's not even attractive, though. How can you even say? No, in this book, she's not attractive. Okay. <sighs> Whatever. Continue. Joe just cut out all the MILF references. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is that it? You gave his reading. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, I gave him. I gave you some artistic freedom in case you wanted to keep going. Did you say Batman Odyssey? Yes. Okay. Uh, whoa, well, Dustin, I, I, I appear. I'm not gonna be able to make the next episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> He'll wait and reschedule so that you're on. <laughs> yeah, on a night when you can't do it. Pretty much.